Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Hi there, and welcome to the MM&M podcast. I am Jack O'Brien, digital editor at MM&M, live from the health conference in Las Vegas, and I'm joined by Ron Emerson from Zoom. Ron, nice to meet you, and welcome to the show. Nah, thank you. It's great to be here. I guess our first question, and I think it's probably one that our audience is thinking about, is what is Zoom doing in healthcare? No, I mean, it's a great question. Um, we're doing a lot, as you would imagine, and with the uh, hyper-digitalization and virtualization of health uh, due to the pandemic, of course, we've seen a lot of changes and, and uh, we continue to build on that. A lot of uh, uh, people don't know this, but actually Zoom is actually the number one used platform for patients to see doctors in the U.S. Uh, about 32.8% of patients in hospitals, it was a report done by Definitive Healthcare who calls on hospitals. And then the American Medical Association also looked at um, some other providers as well um, across uh, ambulatory care, and we were the market share leader there as well. So, um, But on top of that, we are also the platform of choice just for everyday hybrid work. So it's about the the um, you know sort of hybrid models of work, but also hybrid delivery models. And we're very involved, of course, in both of those. I appreciate you going through kind of what Zoom is doing currently in the healthcare space. I am really kind of curious about what the go forward looks like in terms of a business strategy going into 2023. Obviously, we saw telehealth and virtual services take off during the pandemic. But now as we're going back into in-person, you know, events and conferences and just day to day life, what is the role for Zoom to be, you know, something in the arsenal for, say, a physician or, you know, a healthcare organization reaching patients? Yeah. Uh, the, well, there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, you know, the, the foundation we always need to set, you know, when we have these discussions is like what's going on in healthcare in general and what's sort of, and, and you know, one of the, the biggest moves, if you look at from 1960 to 2010, um, you know, the cost of healthcare in the U.S. actually increased five times of what gross domestic product was. And uh, that's because we really focused on, you know, sick care per se. And we are seeing that move more towards value-based care and, when you look at capitated rates where a provider or an organization is given a certain amount of money to take care of a patient, where we're looking at value that actually dictates um, the financial incentive for an organization rather than just an interaction with the patient, um, different delivery models and different ways and the need to touch patients to change behaviors like for wellness and prevention, better care coordination for discharge planning, um, telehealth where we can divert um, and stop exacerbations of clinical conditions where people don't need more expensive care because we're increasing access to care. Zoom is really interested in all of those things and how we can reach across the continuum of care and basically aid healthcare professionals, not to just work in a hybrid manner, but also to impact and how they interact with their patients. About 40% of patients in the United States right now are underneath alternative payment systems in some form or another. And that would include Medicare patients, right, with value-based care and, you know, with uh, accountable care and all the other things. So we're really looking at um, the excitement of how we can be that one platform to sort of impact all of those things that are really based on communication. And what has the conversation been like with the HCPs? Because I know that our audience, they're, you know, medical marketers, they're always looking at how can we get in front of HCPs and understand their concerns or what they're looking for out of a service. How has Zoom changed to be able to fit their expectations for being able to use it as a, a model of care? Yeah, it's it's really twofold. I think, um, you know, Zoom has had, um, you know, tremendous success. Um, 
And uh, a lot of the, the listeners today are familiar with the technology as it is um, using sort of what we could say, I guess, zoom out of the box. And that's being used for meetings, for medical education, and of course, for telemedicine. Um, and then also all of the value-based care things I talked about earlier. But we also realize the application um, and the utilization of our technology needs to go beyond that. And that's where we work with partners. And Zoom is integrated into Epic. Um, Zoom is integrated into Cerner. So what we really want to do is we want to continue to build upon our core competency, which is providing that best experience between um, a patient and a clinician or between healthcare professionals for education, whatever the application is. But we realize the importance of integrating into the workflow of what healthcare professionals do every single day. They work out of their electronic health record. So they want to be able to um, mimic that workflow, but it just so happens that the patient is um, is virtual and in a different um, situation. And that's really the biggest mover that we see when we have that discussion. I appreciate you giving a background in terms of where Zoom is and is going uh, as it relates to healthcare. Kind of focusing on the conference itself, I'm really curious what kind of trends or you know different presentations, sessions that you've been paying attention to, maybe in terms of topics or, you know, different areas that are just piquing your interest? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, a few that I'm, of course, we're seeing more on the wellness side, wellness and prevention and, and chronic disease management, which we've talked about for a while, but we're seeing, I think, more concrete um, and everyone's incentive driven, right? We all have incentives, all of us do, and including healthcare providers. And as um, payment models change and healthcare organizations are more incentivized to provide wellness and prevention and and um, to decrease uh, costs through other means and measures and those touch points. That's one area I've seen grow. I'm very interested in that. Um, of course, virtual care. And, you know, we are in a, um, if we focus on the U.S. and around the world, we are in a private system. And, of course, virtual care does give you that opportunity to reach out and, um, you know, retain patients and also to capture more patients through convenience and increase access. Because the real revenue is when the patient comes to your facility for blood draws and MRIs and CAT scan, they, they don't go to the competitor. So there's still that competitive drive. And now that everyone has experienced telehealth, um, you know, we realize that that patients like it. Actually, Zoom did a study. Uh, uh, we actually hired an organization called Qualdrics, and we looked at patients who had actually received a telemedicine visit within six months over video, right? And uh, what we found is that 61% of those patients actually want to continue with a hybrid model of care ongoing. So we realize it's about hybrid and 34% said, you know what, I'll stick to in-person. And then 4% said, okay, I'm video only, which isn't really realistic, you know, given that we have objective data. So our stance is, I think some of the trends and sessions that I'm seeing here at health is that we realize that there's going to be different models. It's not all one or the other, but, you know, let the actual clinical application drive the different technologies and things that we use based on those situations. It's interesting to hear you bring up those studies there in terms of maybe the the value of having a hybrid world as opposed to one or the other, that there can be a world that exists in between. I am curious if you can just talk, uh, you know, uh, broadly about the idea of consumerism in healthcare, because obviously if there was any organization during the pandemic that got to see the effects of widespread consumerism, it was Zoom as everyone went online and that's how we were able to stay connected during the pandemic. Is there any advice that you would pass along to different healthcare leaders as they try and understand the effects of consumerism and maybe adapting to changing expectations? expectations among consumers for how they want to consume healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, um, it's, it's, it's just good for medicine, um, but it has to be done properly. And, um, so the first thing with providers is, um, that I would say is when you look at, you know, the way that you, well, well let me put it this way. So 
just like any other program, when you look at sort of the virtualization of healthcare and some digital first models or hybrid models, you really need to sort of integrate that from the top down of the organization as a strategic goal of how you choose to take care of your patient population. That's the first thing. So it has to be an organizational goal where you don't hear about this great program and then a few doctors move away and the, and the program collapses because it was that. So organizationally, that's one. Um, because you want that best experience for the consumer where it's part of the system. Number two is, uh, I think the realization when you look at the data, you know, that patients like it, the patients, this is what they want. But I think that all of us um, would be naive. Um, Mayo did a, a study, they have Zoom integrated into Epic and what they found is they actually did an assessment on 2,400 patients. And when patients were actually seen over Zoom, they would, they would, it was multi-specialty, and then they would see the patient within 90 days. And what they found is that, you know, 86.9% of the time, the, the, the diagnosis was the same. So there's kind of three areas, right? We know that patients like it. So from a consumer perspective, let's, you know, we're here to serve the patient. Um, number two is clinical efficacy. I just talked about what kind of quality of care we can provide. So that's important, right? So, and then the third thing that we've struggled with for a long time in telehealth, I've been doing it for 22 years, is, is the, um, you know, the ROI piece of it. And we are starting to see some really positive data as we look at both sides. You know, if we see, if we see somebody over telehealth, uh, um, a, a recent um, report that came out, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, which I think is interesting because they're a payer and they're a provider. So they pay the bills and they, they provide the providers, right? So they can track these things and they have a vested interest on both sides. What they found is for urgent care visits, um, that when a patient was seen for urgent care over video, they actually tracked the patient for three months. And what they found is that they saved $128 per patient. And so the, the, the treatment was durable. It wasn't like I just saw, um, it wasn't like I did, like I just saw you, Jack, over, over a telemedicine visit. And then two days later, you went to the emergency room and had more care. Like it wasn't a durable or it wasn't a thorough treatment. What they found is when you looked at all the numbers, ended up providing a significant cost saving. So from a consumer perspective, it's what patients want, it's convenience. And you know, as healthcare professionals, we are seeing decentralized healthcare where patients, regardless of where they're located, uh, people expect and they want to receive higher levels of care. And anything that we can do, I think, as, as, as healthcare folks, I'm a nurse by training, is you know to really decrease that barrier and the entry point of a lot of people in healthcare is at the primary care level with their providers. So anything we can do to at least get them into the system, into the healthcare system, and then provide better guidance, I think is beneficial for them. It's good for business for you as a healthcare provider because your competitors or other healthcare providers are doing it. So you decrease that barrier to access and to them seeing you. And um, and it's showing some positive uh, um um, cost benefits as well. This kind of ties in with a question I was going to have, which is just the marketing nature of virtual healthcare. We have a lot of, you know, pharma and biotech marketers in our audience, but they cover any range of healthcare organizations. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to see, you know, change or maybe adapt as it relates to marketing these kind of virtual healthcare organizations going forward, especially as we spin out of the, say, emergency phase of COVID into the more endemic phase? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, I, I think the first part is just to be realistic with your patients and let them know that it's not an all or nothing um, scenario. I think that's one. Um, I think another thing from a marketing perspective, because they want to know, you know, based on the, the clinical situation, is it appropriate for telemedicine? And that's fair. And some things aren't, of course, because in medicine, there's subjective data, what a patient says, then there's objective data. You know, we are seeing um, hospital systems that if somebody has a sore throat, 
that they just automatically say, okay, that's probably not appropriate for a first time telemedicine visit because we need to do a rapid strep and see if they have strep throat. Um, so be realistic and let them know it's not an all or nothing, that it's a hybrid model of care. And I think that's the best model we're seeing. The second thing is that let them know it's a hybrid model of care that when appropriate, like I go to my doctor, I get seen for the situation. I get the blood test. My doctor's like, I want, I just had it happen. He's like, I want to see you in a month. He's like, I'll do it over telemedicine. I didn't have to take a half a day off work. I can have eight to 14 meetings a day. You know, we're all busy. Um, we all have kids. And, and, um, I was able to do my follow-up visit over telemedicine, which was, uh, um, which was, which was wonderful. And then I'm going to see him again in another month over telemedicine and it's, and it's uh, completely fine. But to be fair, the initial visit I had with him would have not have been appropriate over telemedicine because they needed blood draws and other things done that wouldn't have been appropriate. So I think if you market it that way and let them know that it's a model that is there to meet your needs and the provider's needs and lower the barrier rather than it's just an all or nothing where they're trapped in some delivery model maybe they're not comfortable with. It's so important to talk about that communications aspect, especially when it relates to patients, because even the most educated among them as it relates to understanding the system can still feel so lost at times where it just becomes even more frustrating and intimidating to deal with. Exactly. And, and let them know that it's, you know, that there's, there's from a marketing perspective, it's not all or nothing hybrid, um, that there is support there with technology because some people are just terrified, especially as you look at some of the demographics and older populations to let them know that it's a, a developed actual program and there are people there to help um, from a technology perspective and then get them into that sort of understanding of the delivery model. And it, um, we've just seen a lot of success out there. It's been just an amazing, uh, we know we've learned a lot during COVID. I think we all have it at Zoom we have as well that, you know, there are some things that have been sort of positive that are just going to change the face of how we move forward. Absolutely. And to that end, I just wanted to end the podcast with a question of just if there's anything else that you're paying attention to that may be on the back burner or under the radar that other healthcare leaders should be paying attention to, or at least, you know, you're tracking. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is the whole decentralization of healthcare and, we continuously watch this. It's starting out, you know, I have a global role, as I said. So I meet, you know, like in Australia, they're quite a ways down the road, like with hospital at home. Um, you know, it's, it's less expensive. We decrease nosocomial infections. And I think there's a lot of different use case applications in the home that we're going to continue to see that are going to build. So we continue to just watch decentralized um, healthcare in general. And I think that's going to, it's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And we're seeing some of that in public sectors around the world that are a good model an example, I think, for the U.S. to, to follow. Excellent. Well, Ron, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and hopefully there's an opportunity down the line to reconnect and talk about everything that's going on with Zoom and healthcare. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.